We are going through Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. Why? Because we are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's shocking how many people don't really know the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've kind of dumbed down the gospel of Jesus Christ. We think the gospel of Jesus is just believe in Jesus and ask him in your heart. That's the gospel. Uh, no, that's part of the gospel. But the gospel is everything Jesus taught. In fact, the Great Commission, Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to everyone, teaching them to obey what I've told you to obey. Well, do many people even know what Jesus told us to obey? It's shocking. People know the Ten Commandments, but yes, do you know what Jesus commanded? And they'll stare at you with a blank stare. Jesus gave us almost 50 commands. How to live life, how we should be approaching things, what we should be doing as believers. So we are looking at the gospel and teaching it. And we're going through one verse at a time. So uh, we are at uh, the uh, 35th chapter of, of chapter, or 35th verse of chapter 9. Where it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plenteous, lots of opportunities, okay? A lot of people in need, a lot of people need help. But the workers are few. Now you would think... That his next words would be, get off your keister and go help people. Certainly those would have been my words. Alright. But that's not what he didn't do. And it's kind of surprising because up to this point, it's shocking how direct Jesus is. I mean, it's stunning, you know. Your eye offends you, pluck it out. Having a problem with your hand, cut it off. I mean, he was not pulling punches. He was very, very strong with people. And uh, surprisingly so, considering that we don't talk much about those things today. But you would think after all the really tough things, I mean, guys who just come up to Jesus, I want to follow you, but I got to go bury my dad. I'll let the dead bury their dead. I mean, he's like brutal. And then he comes to this and he says, there are so many needs. And then you think, so get off your keys and go help those needs. But instead, he says the next line, which it says, ask the Lord of harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That's kind of surprising, but when you really consider uh, what really changes people, It's not what we say, it's what God is able to open up in the hearts and minds of people. For example, I can yell at people all day long. (laughs) They won't do anything I say, you know. It's not until God comes and flips the switch on and all of a sudden it becomes a reality to people. Jesus said, I will build my church. We can't do it for him. We need to do what we can do. But ultimately, he's the one who has to do it. And that's what we need to pray. God, turn the lights on in people's hearts to see the needs so that they will respond. Many churches, uh, like ours, virtually every church I've ever been to, you know, has more need than they have volunteers. And it's always a struggle. And the people in the volunteer groups are saying, please tell them to get involved. Please tell them to get involved. Pastor, you got to tell them to get involved. And we do what we can. But ultimately, that's not what's going to move people. What these people need to do, and I know a lot of them, they listen to this service later, because most of the people who are serving right now are not in the service. They're watching your Rugrats, <laughs> you know, and just serving. And uh, so they're not in here, so they don't get a chance to hear these, but they listen to them later. My encouragement to you guys, do what Jesus said. Pray that God would send forth laborers. There is a great need. We need to ask God to send people to meet that need. That's ultimately. Again, we will challenge you from time to time about getting off your keister. But we need God to throw the switch on in your hearts and heads. It's the only way it works. Ultimately, that's the way it is with faith. Anybody here who's ever had an experience with God in their life can remember the day the light went on. All of a sudden, doink, it made sense. 
doink. Oh, I get it now. Oh, why didn't I get it before? Because God didn't throw the switch. I don't know. Uh, Jesus said, unless the Father call you, unless he makes it real, uh, they, you can't get it. And that's true not only in salvation, but apparently even in service. Let's look for opportunities to serve. Let's pray that God would put it on the heart for others. Turn the lights on. Every church really ought to be overwhelmed with more people who want to help than we have opportunities to help. Sadly, that's not the case. So the answer is not to yell at people, even though I'm kind of doing that now. The answer is to encourage people to pray, to ask God to send forth laborers. The ones who are involved, pray that God will put it on the hearts of others to get involved. Now, having said that, let me give you a little side thing here just on the idea of service. Service means to serve. Okay, the analogy is like being a slave, a servant of God. And servanthood is not very glamorous. If you stop and think about it, you know, some people, they're not really interested in being servants in the church. They're looking for self-validation. What can I do? You know, how come no one recognizes my abilities and my strengths? Surely I'm overqualified. Listen, everybody's overqualified. I mean, it's not like what we ask people to do in most churches is really requiring PhDs. You know, change a poopy diaper. You know, hold a little two-year-old so they quit crying. Do a service and teach kids about Jesus. An usher, not the slam. The ushers always get on me when I say this. It's not a slam. But how much intelligence does it take to be an usher? I mean, it's not like... <laughs> now they're leaving. Don't leave! It's, <laughs> it's not a slam. It's like... Opportunities for service. It's not like, you know, greeting someone at the door or anything, you know. It's all, it's beneath everybody. That's why it's called serving. You're doing stuff that nobody else really wants to do. You're a slave to Christ. I'm looking for opportunities. What can I do? What can I do? How can I serve? Don't be looking for something that's, I don't see why people don't recognize my gifts and abilities, you know. Well, I don't know what your gifts and abilities are, but what we need is this. Okay? How about you just do this? You know what a servant does? What people tell him to do. Right? Oh, we don't like that. And I don't want to just do that. Well, that's what we need. You know, I mean, that, when you really have the heart of a servant, you'll just do what you're asked to do. Doesn't matter if it's beneath your mental capabilities. Virtually everything we do here is beneath your mental capabilities. Me preaching is beneath my own mental capabilities. I mean, it's not really that complicated, okay? It doesn't need advanced education to do this stuff. It's serving people. And there's lots of people. When they are serving, they run it through this filter of self-validation and their opinions. There's lots of people in churches, in every church, where they don't want to get involved in the uh, children's ministry. Because I, I, I don't really agree with uh, everything they're doing in the children's ministry. Or I'm not involved in the youth ministry. I don't know if I really agree with the way the youth ministry is proceeding. Blah, 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 blah. Well, I'm not going to... Seriously? You know, I'm not, I'm I'm not going to sing in the choir because I, 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 don't, I can't stand the songs we sing. Well, really? How about you just serve? I can't stand some of the songs we sing. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah. And my guys know it. You know? What do you do? Nothing. It's not about me. It's about you. My question to all our worship people, do the people sing? Do they respond? That's all that we need to know. Man, I'll play roll out the barrel if y'all worship God to it. 
You know, I don't care. We'll turn it into a polka mass. Whatever it takes. Quit being so stinking opinionated. Well, I, I can't. I can't leave that ministry unless we play the songs I think we should play, or we should do this, or this department does that. Just honestly, can you be more self-centered and narcissistic? Of course, we cover it with spirituality. I, well, I just don't feel the Lord is being glorified. What's really saying is, I don't think you're doing it the way I do it. You know, that's what it is. Just be humble, okay? Be humble. Man, I served for years in churches where I disagreed with everything that was going on. It's true. Is it not true? Ask the redhead. (laughs) For years, years, I disagreed with, well, not everything. I mean, they turned the heat on in the winter. I agreed with that. (laughs) But beyond everything else, they're all crazy. What'd you do? I served. What do you need me to do? Let's do it. Let's do it. And when I first came to Green Bay, and this was Bayside, you know, I came in and I was just the backup piano guy. You know, truth is I could play pianos around the other piano people, circles around them. I could just, well, I didn't come in and say, well, listen, I'm a lot better than you. How come you don't let me? Praise God, my gifts and abilities are not being recognized. I'm a much better player than all of you. You all stink. No. what I do? I played. Play the backup role. Just smile. Look, I was just happy to be here to serve. Did you enjoy the songs? Some of them. Others were just quite dreadful. <laughs> Would you get upset? No, I don't care. Whatever it takes. Let's just serve. Eventually, the opportunity came where I could start leading more. Great, fine. But don't get so caught up. This isn't about self-validation. I'm telling you, many, 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 many people in churches today will not serve because they're not really looking to serve they're looking to be validated for who they are and what their opinions are and how spiritual they are or they aren't you know they'll only do stuff if they feel they can get involved because they have their spiritual insights whoa man check your medication all right now then chapter 10 jesus calls his 12 disciples together and gives them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness now this is cool He sees all these needs. He's doing all these miracles. Now, if Jesus was a self-centered person, he would have kept doing all the miracles, right? I'm the rock star. Everybody come and look at me. I'm fabulous, you know. But no, he doesn't do that. He gives his apostles the same power he has. And then they go and they start doing the same stuff. Why? Because it's about advancing God's kingdom and meeting needs and healing people. And then he gives us the name of the 12 apostles. He says, here they are. First is Simon, who's called Peter. And his brother, Andrew. Uh, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. Got a lot of brothers here. A lot of family guys hanging around. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, who's writing this particular gospel. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Then we have Simon the Zealot. Probably one of the most least recognized apostles. But I want to talk about Simon the Zealot a little bit because it's appropriate for today in the season which we are in. Zealots in those times were highly opinionated people about political issues. Of the day. Highly opinionated. And they were really intense. To the point of using violence. They were like, you know, we got to do whatever we can to straighten this out. It means getting violent and we're going to do it. And they were called zealots. And Jesus really messed with them. Because they were trying to advance God's kingdom. And these Roman soldiers, they're horrible. And they were horrible and terrible. 
You know, I hear people whining about, you know, some of the governmental overreaches in our country. Yeah, it's a pain, I get it, but relax a little bit. You know, it's not like the Roman government. You know, these people in the middle of the Roman governments, Jesus comes along and says, you know, how should we deal with them? Pay your taxes. Give to Caesar what's Caesar. They wouldn't give Caesar anything. They hated Caesar. Caesar's a big fat jerk. Talk about taxation without representation. The only representation they had was a spear stuck on the side of their necks. You know, that'll get your attention. They were not happy about it at all. And these guys, they were obnoxious. And the rule was, if a Roman soldier saw you and he's carrying stuff, he didn't want to carry it, he'd say, hey, you got to carry my stuff for the next mile. And they all had to do it. They come to Jesus, Jesus, what's going on? These stupid Romans, what? They tell us to care for a mile. Yeah, Jesus, I know that's just terrible. So this is what you do. Uh, go for two miles. What? They didn't want to hear this. Love your enemy? They didn't want to love their enemy? They wanted to hate their enemy. I hate those stupid people. And Jesus comes along and starts preaching the gospel, a gospel that eventually would overtake and collapse the Roman Empire. But not through force, not through guns, not through being psycho crazy, okay? Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, by influencing the world in which they live. We are called to influence the world in which we live. But keep it in perspective, okay? You know, we are aliens. You know what aliens are? You ever see movies with aliens? You know, nano, nano, nano. All the weird aliens. I love these. I'm a sci-fi freak. And the aliens in the movie, they always come down. And nobody knows they're an alien. Unless it's E.T. because he looks like an alien. But the people look at aliens. They come down and they see all the affairs of men. And then they would try to affect the affairs of men to advance their alien cause and stuff. But at the end of the day, they don't really care. They're aliens. They're out of here. All right. The Bible says that's really who we are and what we are. We are aliens. We are passing through this place. But while we're here, we're trying to influence as, as much as we possibly can. Okay. I got John Marco here this morning. Uh, he's running for state senate. He's going to be speaking at the end of the service, which we figured out on the plane on the way home. That's why I didn't call you about it. Surprise, surprise. Anyway. So I, you know, I, I, a few weeks ago, I said, man, if you got people who want to speak, come on. We'll open the doors. I don't care where you're from. Come and speak to our people. And he, he's the only one who's me up for it. <laughs> So it'll be great. But uh, um, we're about influencing. Let's get involved and influence as much as we can without question. But just don't go crazy. Okay? It's not, I know it feels like the end of the world, but it's not the end of the world. Well, this is the most important election of our lifetime. Yeah, but they say that every election. Have you noticed that? Every election is the most... And listen... No matter who wins, God's not going to wake up the next day depressed. Are you hearing me? God's not going to go, oh man, I didn't think he'd win. What the heck? All right, God's kingdom, then we just keep influencing no matter what. All right? So again, get involved. Do what you need to do. Be involved. Don't sit around and do nothing. Make sure you vote. Use your brains when doing so. Uh, But... Again, don't freak. All right. So that was Simon the Zealot. And then we got Judas Iscariot. He was the scallywag that uh, eventually betrayed Jesus. Listen, sometimes scallywags get voted in office. They do. But you know, the Bible says power comes from God. Ultimately, as Christians, we have to understand power comes from God. 
Say, well, why did that scallywag get in there? At the end of the day, God must have wanted him in. Why? I don't know. There's going to be a million reasons why. Look, again, we do what we should do. We need to be, and we're going to talk about more about that in just a second. You know, let's influence. But again, this is not our ultimate home. We are aliens. We're American aliens, but we're aliens nonetheless. Okay, we're just passing through this place. Our main concern should be God's kingdom. Let's influence the kingdoms in which we live. All right. Which is why we want him there. Influence the kingdoms in which we live. So, all right. Now, so Jesus gives the 12 this instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any of the town of Samaritans. Rather, go to the lost sheep of Israel. The uh, command was very clear. You're only supposed to go to Jewish people. Jesus came, the Bible says, to the Jews. Primarily to the Jews first. It wasn't until after Jesus was raised from the dead that the Holy Spirit started to reveal that you're supposed to preach the gospel to non-Jews, which gets us all in on the deal. Thank God. But in the beginning, it was all just the Jews. All of this was to fulfill the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's a reason they were called the chosen people. And Jesus said, oh, don't go to non-Jews. Go strictly to the Jews. Now, this was a big thing. Uh, and you'll notice, if you start reading the New Testament, you, the one theme you see over and over again is this fight over being Jewish or not. A lot of people don't understand, but in the early Christians, they were all Jewish. All of them. Jesus was a Jew. All these guys were Jewish. Everybody who became Christians were all Jewish. In fact, they didn't even think you could become a Christian if you weren't Jewish. They thought you could be a Christian if you're not Jewish, but first you have to become Jewish. And you have to, if you're a guy, you have to get circumcised. And then they finally decided, okay, you don't have to do that. Well, thank the Lord. It's hard enough to get people to come to church. I'd like to sell that. Welcome to Celebration Church. We're glad you're here with us today. Hope you consider joining, but we will have to cut off the end of you. You I mean, that would be horrible. Hard enough to get people baptized, for heaven's sakes. So thank God they changed that rule. But anyway, in the beginning, it was just all Jewish, and that's what they were supposed to do. Okay, so they go. He says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven is, has come near. I'm not crazy about this translation. Others say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Another is the kingdom of heaven is here. I think it's much more here than near. Look what they did. He says, they heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. What, the, the beautiful thing about Christianity, it's the only religion in the world where you get to experience God right now. The kingdom of God is here. That's the power of the gospel. You don't got to wait till you're dead. All the other religions, you know, you got to work real hard and say all these prayers and do all these things and eventually, hopefully, you connect with God. The beauty of Christianity is you get to experience God right off the get-go. And the truth is, if you will reach out in faith, you can truly experience God right now. You can experience heaven right here on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can experience heaven today. Right here, right now. That's the beauty of the gospel, the kingdom of God. So that's what he told him to go teach. He says, freely you ever see. Man, if you've been blessed, bless other people. Don't keep it to yourself. And then he says to them, don't get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. Uh, well, I didn't think they had any gold, silver, or copper. Well, yeah, they did. One, one of the big, you know, misunderstandings. Everybody thinks Jesus was poor. He wasn't poor. He lived very simply. But they had lots of money. The Bible talks about the people who gave into his ministry. They had so much money, one guy had the job of just getting rid of it all. Do you remember his name? Judas, that's right. Cigar over here. Judas! 
That was the scallywag guy. His job was to deal with all the money people kept giving him. He said people gave money. Of course. Can you imagine? We just read the story about the the um, the uh, synagogue leader and his daughter was dead and Jesus came and raised him from the dead. What would you do if someone came to your daughter who just died and raised her from the dead? You think you'd give into their ministry? You think maybe you'd be a little generous? You'd never seen, now you can see. Sicker than a dog, now you're healed. Seem like they've got no, you nothing but pain. And I have. People gave big time to Jesus. And again, because they were so grateful for what God had done in their lives. Sometimes I think the reason people don't give is because they haven't really experienced much of God in their life. You start really experiencing God in your life, one of the first signs you'll experience is generosity. Okay? You will give. So well, I don't give. Well, boo-hoo on you. You know, I feel sorry because obviously you're not really experiencing God. You really experience God. It changes you. You start to realize what he has done and prayers start getting answered in your life and things start turning around. You become a generous person. Not just with your money, but with your time. Your energy. It changes you. Okay? And he told them, freely you have received, now freely give. Don't take any gold or anything with you. Intentionally, don't take any money. Next verse, he says, don't even take a bag. Or even an extra shirt, which is kind of gross. Or sandals or staff. For the worker is worthy of his keep. No, don't take anything. Just go. For the worker is worthy of his keep. Now watch this principle. This is an Old Testament principle. That said, the rule was you were not to muzzle the ox that treaded out the corn. In other words, these ox are you know, turning the big mills. Uh, you know what a job those guys had. They're just doing this. And then the ox, well, after all this corn spilling, they'd reach over and they'd eat it. Well, sometimes they would muzzle, you know, real tight, cheap people would muzzle the ox so he wouldn't eat the corn. And the Old, Old Testament says, don't do that. You should never do that. Let him eat whatever he wants to eat. It's just a small spillover, okay? You don't rob them of the opportunity of participating in what they've done. The principle of that was always, from the Old Testament even to where Jesus talks about here, the worker being worthy of his hire, is that those who minister to you should be supported by those who've been ministered to. That's why we pay pastors and that sort of thing. This is their job. They minister to us. They shouldn't have to worry about their finances and we take care of them. They don't have to have separate jobs. Now some people intentionally don't do this. I'm one of those people who don't do that. Most of my income comes, and at times all of my income comes from speaking at conferences and stuff like that. And uh, uh, I've gone years without any income, and right now I'm at a very little, tiny, little stipend, if you will, which is fine. I do that intentionally. That's my call. Okay. I'm grateful. Freely I've received, so now I freely give. And, and not everybody's in that position, but I am, so I'm, I'm blessed in that. But it's certainly right and appropriate to. Give to those who work and minister to us. Everybody say amen. amen. All right, so that's that principle. So don't worry about it. Just go. You, they should take care of you. He says, whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person. Stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. Uh, if the home is deserving, they like you. You let your peace rest on it. If they reject you, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not listen to you or listen to your words, leave that home or town. Shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Pretty serious for those guys. He's basically saying, look, you're representing me. If they reject you, they're rejecting me. And someday they will have to give an answer for that. Okay? 
Uh, and then he says this, verse 16. We'll end with this one for today. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes. Look at the analogy. Snakes? I thought snakes were bad. Sneaky. He said, be sneaky. Okay? Shrewd as snakes, but harmless, innocent as doves. The, re- the point he's saying, look, you don't always have to announce your intentions when you first walk in the door into people's lives. Are you hearing me? Be smart about it. Be into, that's where we're getting back to this idea of influencing. We want people to go, a guy like John, into politics or different things that people are do, different do things, where they go in and influence. Use whatever ability God gives you to influence. But be smart about it. You don't have to be sticking Jesus in everybody's face all the time. I point this out because a lot of evangelical Christians have actually taught the exact opposite. That if you're going to really preach the gospel, you've got to be really in people's face. You know, and they just get obnoxious. You know, you don't have to do that. Okay? You know, you don't need to come. I'm going to get dark for you people in point and stuff. Sorry. Increase the picture quality here. Right? Hi, I'm Mark. I'm a born again Christian. Are you born again Christian? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you read the Bible? Praise God. Are you? Let me show you. I'm Mark, by the way. What's she going to do? She's going to get away from me. You're creepy. All right? You know, ha, ha, I'm Mark. If you died right now, would you go to hell? Would you go? You know, that's the Christian way of saying, how the hell are you? That's what that is, actually. Yeah. Right. If you died, are you going to go to hell? Are you going to hell right now? Are you? The people who teach this. I'm impressed by the light, by the way, guys. Isn't he? Right on cue here. But uh, people, you know, that's what you got to do when you share the gospel. Just come right in their faces. No, no. Okay? Even when Jesus ministered to people, he helped them, he healed them, he touched them, he spoke into their lives, and then he started to reveal who he was. When he comes to the woman at the well, he doesn't say, Ha, I'm the Messiah. Do you believe in me? Do you believe me, you wicked woman? Hey, you! Hey, you! Okay? Not you personally, but anyway. All right? No, he starts ministering to her, answers her questions, and stuff, and then finally starts to reveal to her who he is, and it starts to change her life. You don't have to stick it in people's faces. We are aliens in this world. We need to come in, and we need to influence things the best as we can. And how do you do it? Jesus says, be as shrewd as a snake. Okay? Be smart about it. You know, you know, if you're a salesman, you don't come up to someone and say, you know, I'd like to make as much money as I possibly could off of you. All right. Well, you're going to run. Okay. I'd love to sell you. You know, well, you're going to run away. Now, it's his intention to make as much money as he possibly can. Of course. But he's shrewd. He's smart. Let me show you how this can help you. You need this car. You've got to have this car. It's, you know, it seats 25 people, even though there's just the two of you. You know, you need this, you know. And I make you think I'm doing you a favor, right? That's the big win there. Shrewd, be shrewd. You don't have to stick everything in everybody's face all the time. I was talking to John yesterday, and uh, because we we help you know lead him to Jesus, bring Jesus into his life, and he says, "I remember when I when I asked Jesus, it was so cool. I said, you gugger, how come you didn't tell me about this before? Well, because you probably would have freaked. But I tell you, hi, hi, dear. I'm a born again Christian. Do you do you know Jesus in your heart? Have you been? You remember when I first? You know, we didn't do that to you. You probably went ah. And got the heck away from us, okay? Why? How about we actually be nice to you and communicate and become friends and stuff like that? And then you can influence people. That's what he's talking about being shrewd as snakes. I'm impressed. That's very cool. All right. Okay, I think you get the point. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to be able to advance your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to serve, not look for validation, just to serve, even if we don't agree with everything. And God, we pray that you would send more servants into the field to meet more needs. And help us, God, to share the love of Christ with the world around us. Help us to be smart about it. Help us to be shrewd as snakes, but harmless as doves overcoming the world in which we live through the love of Christ. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.